Boxeo is back in the building. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns and ready to pack a Paris of plaster-sized punch of that unbreakable, untraceable, and unmistakable wonder drug. That performance-enhancing audio. The Brian Campbell is the voice that you hear just about ready to tag in your guy Big Red to spit some hot fire in the world of the sweet science. Yes, that hot fire, bros. It's coming. The fire's coming. Are you ready for the fire? We're firemen. We are firemen. The heat doesn't bother us. We live in the heat. We train in the heat. It tells us that we're ready. We're at home. We're where we're supposed to be. Flames don't intimidate us. What do we do? We control the plane. We control them. We move the plane where we want to. And then we extinguish them. Oh, wow. Does that get you fired up? Come on. the fl- It's flame season right now, and we got another loaded show for you today. Recapping Miguel Cotto's career finale against Saddam Ali and previewing Saturday's Super Bowl of the lower weight classes when Vasily Lomachenko and Guillermo Rigondeau square off for pound-for-pound pound supremacy in NYC. We've also got one heck of an interview this week as I sat down with legendary promoter Bob Arum to go deep on a number of interesting topics, including Pacquiao McGregor and Bob comparing Vasily to Ali. Yes, I'm not talking about Saddam either. Bob will also share the secrets for his longevity at age 85 following five decades in the business. Five years, that's a week! Yeah, you certainly will not want to miss what Bob has to say. But before we get started, let me remind you one more time to do your part in this audio monogamy. If you've yet to let your voice be heard regarding the show, then then first of all, stop that crap. Stop it. Stop it. And secondly, how about you do me a solid this holiday season? Big gift to people. Yeah, yeah. Wrap me a big gift. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, review, heck, Give us that shout out on social media using that hashtag in this corner. You know, it's it's the least you can do over this holiday stretch. But now it's time to bring in the guy, the yin to my yang, the Melissa to my Miguel. Oh, yeah, it's that it's, it's perfect timing for that right there. The internationally renowned author, editor, writer, uh, t- Filipino television host, uh, lover and protector of, of all things cruiserweights. Go my I love it when we're cruising together. Cruising was made for Fox. Respect was made for Fox. I love it when we're cruising together. Rafe Bartholomew, you were dressed like a hipster today, so I thought I'd hit you with the coffee house version of cruising. How is it, my man? Cruising is is what I know. What else can I do, Brian? Wow. It's all I know. I pray Paul. This is my life. Which the great Miguel Cotto once said to Melissa in the locker room of Madison Square Garden after losing to Austin Trout five years ago. And a repeat of that scenario for his career finale this weekend. Whoa, Rafe, did not see this coming. Let's break every inch of that down in a second before we get there. Well, what's up with you? Everything good? Everything yeah, it's great. You know, I mean, I cannot wait to break down every inch of Miguel Cotto, Brian. Are you, would you like to start? What, wait, wait, wait. Come on. This, this is not that. This is not that type of show. Seriously. Um, Rafe, what we didn't see coming this weekend was. Oh, oh. 
That is as low as Floyd giving the, the borderline sucker punch to our man VO. Oh, hell no. Oh, God. Uh, I mean, uh, Wash Miguel showed up and Saddam Ali <laughs> had a great night. And before you know it, it's a unanimous decision because there are no happy endings in boxing, right? At least not in the ring. Locker rooms, I'm sure there's some crazy stuff that's going on in terms of happy endings. But in the ring, there are none of them. Joe Smith Jr. sent Bernard Hopkins to hell and knocked him through the ropes. On and on. That story has been repeated. By the way, outside of Floyd. Floyd's the only guy who's had a happy ending. Let him shoot his load. I mean, really, if we're honest, he's the only guy that... <laughs> That walks away from his career on his own terms. Miguel tried to do that. He tried to do that in this fight and take a smaller guy moving up and wait, take a fight that we didn't necessarily want. But I'm not here to crap on this, by the way. This was an entertaining 12 rounds. It was better than we thought it would be. And there was drama because Miguel Cota lost. Unanimous decision on judges' scorecards of 116-112 and 115-113 on the other two. Rafe, considering everything we thought we weren't going to see, your reaction to this uh, little little smack of entertainment? Well, look, man. Yeah, first of all, it was like a really good fight, especially those first eight rounds before, you know, Cotto basically just like, you know, he, he, he tore his left bicep and, and decided, you know what? You know, this is the end of my career. I'm just going to, you know, survive these last four rounds and see what happens, you know, go to the cards, probably lose, and that'll be that. Um you know, who knows if he decided that, but that's how he fought the rest of the fight. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, and even then it was still worth watching. Um, it was a fun fight and I don't, it was not that big of a surprise. Like there was a big range of outcomes for this one, right? Because there was so much unknown between it being one of these weird farewell fights. Um, Saddam Ali being a fighter who we knew we've seen has talent uh but also you know we we just haven't seen fight a lot of good opponents and he also lost to jesse vargas which is not um a, a great a great part of any fighter's resume but, but hold on it wasn't just Khabib a loss Verdiev. it yeah. wasn't just a loss rafe to jesse vargas it was like he sent him to hell one punch ko from a light hitting puncher so that had okay, to inform let's, let's, our let's, expectations let's go. I, i'm gonna let me play look i i and i i listened to our guy uh you know uh the magic man paulie malinaji who was in uh saddam ali's corner that night uh and there ali did have a i believe that uh you know and i, I don't think this is just like made up stuff ali had an ankle injury that night that it seemed to like limit his mobility seemed to hurt his balance and he you know so so he he wasn't fighting at 100 percent, and and he got knocked out plus jesse vargas just came off of almost knocking out tim bradley hard-headed tim bradley you know with the same exact punch so Vargas was having a nice little run with that right. Um, I, you know, it, it still, it's not a great loss for Ali. Hey, let's, you know, let's not go too deep into that that dark moment in the past. Yeah, let's but bring like, it back to Mr. Nuts. Let's bring it back to Mr. Nuts for a second. Got to, you know, um, keep 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 the focus on the prize here. Um, and this fight, you know, so it was, yeah, it was cool. I mean, it was great. You know, Ali Ali came out like boxing, looking really good in a way that I think we knew was possible. And then Cotto rallied. You know, I, I was thinking. I, Almost every competitive Cotto fight, eh, eh, I guess it, like post Margarito and, and Pacquiao, the first Margarito fight, he, 
I he he has a lot of these great middle round rallies. You know, I mean, I can think. Yeah, I mean, he rallied against Trout. He, he, he rallied did. against Trout. He rallied against Floyd in the middle rounds. That though that like five to eight is where he kind of steps it up and and really can has changed fights. Um, you know, I, he ended up losing all three of those fights, well, but he has those quick, rallies. Unfortunately, nine to twelve in his losses. Almost every single one have have been a fade. Now this one yeah. injury related, but still there there been a fade. So he has that peak in the middle. But there was a point in his career before that that last reincarnation where we we sort of dubbed him as like a little bit of a front runner who fades late in his biggest fights. Yeah, and I'd say the the, the biggest the only real real big surprise for me here was seeing Saddam Ali able to hurt Cotto so That's many it. times. That's, I mean, like, I thought that there would be periods where, uh, you know, Ali looks sharper and would outbox him because he's younger, faster, and probably a sharper boxer in general. Um, that's just his style. Uh, so, but the idea, but, but that he was also pretty regularly wobbling and shaking up Kodo and, and those punches weren't just sort of bouncing off of him. That was a bit of a surprise. Let's get right into that. That was the shocker of all shockers. Not, not the ending, not the scorecard, not any of that. So something I made, I made a comment last week that Ali, not as good as we thought when he blew away Abre Gu in 2014, because that guy seemed like he took the James Kirkland black pill before that fight, and not as bad as the one-punch KO would indicate against the light-hitting Vargas, but none of us thought he had the power to do that. And Kodo's chin, you know, it's historically strong, right? I mean, he went 12 competitive rounds with, with Canelo, even in that potentially loaded rap fight with Margarito, which, yes, he took the famous Kodo knee and gets ripped for, uh, you know, undauntedly, he still wasn't knocked out cold, right? Even in the Pacquiao fight, he went on for another six rounds that he shouldn't have and, and, and absorbed the beating. So his chin is not an issue. So it was really shocking why it was such an issue in here. Why on like five to six separate occasions was he visibly wobbled from Ali punches? Reef, my final deduction on that had to be this, that yes, chins can go overnight. You know, once anyone who's a UFC fan, the second Chuck Liddell's chin gone, it was over, and he was knocked out in like seven straight fights. When it's gone, it's gone. I don't think it was that. I think mentally, he had one foot out the door. He knew it was over. Like, if you watched any of the interviews leading up to this with Miguel, well, first, there's not a lot to see in a Miguel interview, but secondly, he made some pretty bold comments like, I don't even care about this fight. I don't even care. There's no amount of money that can draw me back. I'm done. I'm ready to go be with my family. Like, I'm done, done. It was almost like he knows that he doesn't have either the inner fight anymore or physically he's just slipped enough where he doesn't want to do it anymore. So all that combined to, I thought his chin was related to mentally him being one foot out the door. Does that make any sense to you? Is there any connection there? To me, it kind of explains it where he didn't have the heart and will to bite down like you do where the punches don't affect you as much. I don't, is, I, I mean, who, who really, this is one of those questions that has no answer. We really know. I mean, the thing I was thinking is that, um, he got, he, throughout his career, the, the punches that I remember shaking up Miguel Cotto are the times that he got caught by shots he didn't quite see coming. Like the, the, the fast, basically against faster guys. What, like Margarito, yeah, Margarito's pounding him, but still he, you know, he, he kind of, you know, you see those coming and he could just sort of take that until, you know, he, he was basically halfway to, well, thank God nothing worse happened that night. Um, but, um, you know, against Manny, I mean, the, those knockdowns that like when, when against the, the true P 
peak Manny Pacquiao with those those shots that you know were so creative and came out of left field and and had you know Cotto dizzy. Yeah. And he um, he didn't have so headphones the, in the, that night, but Manny may have been listening to the performance enhancing audio that night. This is a possibility, you know, not not to get <laughs> yeah. Paulie Malignaggi on. Well, here, but, but he did he did have his eardrum broken in that fight, Very so true. you know you know he's only got one ear full of uh, PEA. Um, but uh, but anyway, yeah, like the, the that the the uppercut that uh that Floyd you know hit him with late that that almost sort of that, that buckled him quite a bit and these shots it was also weird some weird equilibrium shots that that he that were had him going funny a little bit you know the, the he got wobbled got hit behind the ear that in that second round against Ali and then the 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 sort of left hook that hit him on the top That's of the head. That's a good head. point. So the, the equilibrium shot is a good point because sometimes guys don't recover from that and I think something that we all missed in Cotto Martinez we always talk about the one-legged don't, Sergio. Don't, don't even give me this. I'm about I hate to give this it to you. The bro. first <laughs> knockdown was an equilibrium one, and he was shaky the rest of the way. This is the that is the that is the I will go to my grave believing that that is the excuse they came up with to <laughs> to to be like no 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 it wasn't that I came into this fight with one leg Come it was on. that I got hit with an equilibrium shot and then I just never reco- recovered I was I was on woozy I was woozy the rest of the fight it may be all of that yeah you're right it may be all of that combined I just think part of it was like Miguel knew this was the end so he was trying his best to dig his heels in to get to that finish line and just didn't have the same resolve. Like, he came in at 151 pounds, which I thought was very surprising. His body didn't look – I mean, he was in great shape, but he didn't look as rock-chiseled as he was when he put on a little bit more to face Canelo at Canelo weight for the middleweight title, right? Like, it was like – I mean, the other thing I was going to say, Brian, um, is that I think, like, with Cotto – He's well, okay. No, I just want to let me correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm, I hate to say this because I think Saddam Ali fought really well, does I clearly deserve this win, and I don't mean to take anything away from him. Um, but Brian, if that bicep tear doesn't happen, I think Cotto wins this going away. He he was turning that fight. Ali had that deer in the headlights look starting to creep in. Some it looked like some doubt. Uh, I I. Ali may have had moments because, you know, he, we could see that he was hurting Cotto at various points in the fight. So I wouldn't be surprised if he landed another, you know, nice clean punch that shook up Cotto. But if Cotto had all of his weapons, uh, if he could still, you know, throw like you saw in that eighth round, he <clears throat> he he threw a few more left hooks, not, stopped turning them over. They got wider. They got kind of slappy. So, okay, in theory, what you're saying is true. In theory, what you're saying is that the narrative may have been completely changed. If he didn't have the injury, Miguel could have went, uh, fought to a victory. And obviously, if his left bicep wasn't torn, like you're saying, rounds 8 through 12, in theory, yes, he would have been able to snap the jab. He would have been able to turn the arm over. He still tried his best to use the left hand. Tried it more than Manny did, by the way, against uh, Floyd with that with that phantom <laughs> injury. Just kidding. Uh, maybe not. But uh, so that's okay. So in theory, you're right. And by the scorecards of the three judges and a lot of experts, you are right. If Cotto had won more of those closing rounds, yeah, scorecard wise, he probably would have hung on for a victory. But I had a problem with the scorecards. I watched this fight, Rafe. I scored it nine rounds to three for Ali. And I was actually pretty comfortable in that. Yeah, were there a couple early close rounds? And if you spun it the other way, yes, all that. I had it 117-111 for Ali. I was blown away that, like, Dan Raphael ESPN had it 115-113 for Cotto. That even uh, Harold Letterman had it 15-13 for Ali. I didn't in two of the three judges, obviously. So I'm obviously the outlier in this case. I just thought Ali, even with the surprising punch stats, even though CompuBox had Cotto outlanding him, 
163 to 139. I don't Cox feel like that was, was a was real wonky that I in don't, that fight. It just again, did not match up with the way things looked. This has been a, a, a trend, and I'm not saying this against my, my friends at CompuBox. I'm just saying it just didn't seem like that. It didn't look like that in the fight I watched. I, despite what uh, Harold Letterman was saying, I thought Ali was landing the harder punches throughout, except for that one shot Ali hit that that buckled. Uh, I'm sorry, that yeah, Koto right. hit that buckled him. And overall, you talk about okay, well if if Ali's he- if Koto's healthy, he's going to finish stronger. But don't forget, Ali had a big eighth round to stem the tide exactly when he needed to. And he came out Also, exactly after Miguel Cotto tore his bicep. Fair, but I'll also say that Ali was ready to go 12 hard, and he, and he, and he sort of had the, the, the sturge ready. I'm just going to say this. Yes, if the injury didn't happen, Miguel's probably going to take a decision. But I had an issue with the scoring, and I've had an issue overall, Rafe. And why, when you score a fight, it's kind of like being an umpire in a baseball game. You have your strike zone, right? Are you a low pitch guy, high, whatever? My strike zone is, yes, I do favor the boxers over the punchers, historically. Harold Letterman's, he always favors the punchers, right? Always favors the guy. Who cares if a guy hit five shots? If those five shots were harder than the 25 that the other guy hit, Harold's going to give it to him. And I think that creates bad groupthink. And I think in this case, even though he had Ali winning, I, I just felt it was wider. What was your score in this? I, I, I come in right between you guys. I think I had it about eight to four. Um, there were those, I think that the really the only two, there were two rounds, the two early rounds that were pretty back and forth, uh, where Kodo wasn't hurt. I think those could have gone, gone either way. And I probably, I, I, I split them. Um, now you could, you know, if you give them both to Ali, then you come out with like a eight to four card. Um, if you gave, you know, if you, if you, and, and Letterman gave them both to, to Kodo, which didn't seem to make sense. And he gave Kodo one of the rounds where he got hurt. Um, I know what well, Dan Rayfield, gave, the eighth round where, where, uh, where Ali had his biggest round in a while. People, people like Dan Rayfield were giving that to Kodo. And I just don't, I don't see that. I don't get it. I mean, it's not enough for me to do the stop it crap, uh, a sound bite, but I'm just saying I don't necessarily get it in that regard. And the debate here, Rafe, is, is like this, cause Kodo wasn't fully washed. I, I kind of did that as a joke. His defense was very responsible, right? He boxed decently well and he fought well out of trouble. I just feel like his speed wasn't, and reaction time wasn't what it was. Obviously he's 37. And it just comes down to this equation that we gotta figure out right now. How much was this result, even injury aside, Kodo being a little bit washed? Or Ali overachieving our expectations and maybe even being a player in this 47 to 54 window without us giving him the credit he deserved. Well, I mean, that's, this is one of the crazy and sort of fun things about boxing is that even though we try our, our butts off to know as much as we can about the sport, to have good opinions about how, what level various fighters are on, it's still like, we can only sort of see the tip of the iceberg in boxing. Just a tip, just for a second. You know, it's a glorious tip, uh, and that's why we love it. But you never really know the truth, like, especially with a guy like Ali. And and Kodo ended up sort of being in this position twice somehow in his career where he fought guys who were very good – hadn't and had achieved some level of success but hadn't gotten big fights hadn't fought guys who we really can evaluate them against trout and ali other than jesse vargas which was uh you know which he lost so it feels even uh flukier at least in able to being able to to anticipate how good he would look in this performance you just can't know a lot of the time in boxing because these guys i mean in in this generation a boxer will 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 perform as a professional you know, less times than 
we see an NBA player perform in a single season. Uh, and, and you, there just is not enough data to really ever know. And each fight comes in with such different circumstances. You really like mental, career, age, fixes, no, not fixes, uh, influences, uh, performance enhancing audio, you know, oh. back knee, acne, chacne, all the different kinds, <laughs> all the warning signs, Teddy, uh, anyway, no, I'm playing around, but like there's so much we don't know that it still can come up and sort of like, you know, bite you in the butt like this sometimes. You, you Something that feels like it, we, you know, everyone kind of wrote this off as, come on, Saddam Ali is going to move up and fight Kodo in his last fight. And then he comes in and he looked, you know, I mean, even if that fight, even if there was no injury, that was going to be a good, close, competitive fight to the end. Um, we, we, we labeled and, him Stevie Forbes against Oscar. We, we were we were expecting that, right? And then even mm-hmm. in Stevie Forbes' Oscar, there was kind of an ending to this, right? Like Oscar almost not in trouble in that fight, but he was getting outworked at times. He was getting, his face was getting lit up. I just think that we thought Ali was going to have Stevie Forbes level talent, like you said, because of maybe that one bad night. But Ali looked great at the weight, by the way. Sometimes you find that. Sometimes a guy thinks their weight class is a smaller one and they keep doing that hard cut and then they put on the weight and, and it doesn't affect them and then they're, they're free, right? Maidana was a lot more free at 147 than he was cutting down to 140. Just a, just an example there. That was good. And obviously, it wasn't just the quickness. It wasn't just uh, a smart game plan. I thought Ali's dad, Mahmoud, who was going nuts outside the ring, had the right on. He was like, finish him, attack, because there were moments yeah. where I think like Ali didn't realize how good he was doing, and he didn't realize how much better he was on this night versus this version of Miguel. Like, Miguel had the craft, crafty tricks. He had the straight punches, which Freddie kept asking him to do, but he didn't have the speed and reaction time, and I felt no, like and Ali... He, and, and, and Ali was being overly deferential, right? I mean, or, or ca- overly cautious. I'm probably not deferring, but he just, he wouldn't, he would hurt Cotto and then not really follow up too hard. Um, and by the way, you mentioned <clears throat> Saddam Ali's father, Mahmoud. Man, that, I think going into the 10th round, uh, or maybe going into the 11th, when he did, when he get up and he, he got up and he yelled at Ali, uh, and then did the throat slash motion. I mean, that was some epic stuff, you know, anytime you got like, finish him. Yeah, do it. Thumbs down, take him out. Um, it's, you know, it was, it was a fun fight. Yeah. And, uh, it does, I mean, with the, okay. If, if Cotto hadn't gotten injured and lost, you think there's a chance that he comes back or he's just, no, he's, just, done. He's, just he's just been I, done. He's I, been so done. My whole point, which I didn't eloquently say enough, was the point about the the one foot out the door affecting his punch resistance. I, I literally think he didn't he wasn't as up for this fight as he needed to be. But you have to ask, like, why would he, right? Like outside yeah. of getting the send off at MSG, when you purposely pick an opponent that's a step down, how how are you gonna recreate that in training camp? The the fear-based hard work. Like, if he's going there against Canelo on last Saturday night, he's going to train so much harder because he has to be more, you know, he's got to be more fit and ready and on point for the danger across from him. When on paper, he didn't have the same level of danger. I, and I'm not trying to call him out. I just don't think it's possible he was able to put in the same exact amount of effort. And I think that led to a guy who was trying to get to the finish line rather than trying to finish strong. And that just... Yeah. You know, also, Brian, you, you mentioned Cotto as a guy who, you know, was dead set on getting out of the sport. And that is also reflected in how this fight was made, right? Because Cotto fought in, Cotto fought in what was that, July, the same night, or August, the same night as uh, as Floyd and Connor, And that's not that long ago. I mean, you know, like, 
he could have waited until the early part of next year, gotten some bigger name. Like right. it would not have been unreasonable. He to rushed just, it, and he took damage. Yeah. By the way, he destroyed. And, he, and, and it's because he just said, "Forget it, man. I'm done. Like I'm done. Get me, get someone in there. I will fight him, and then I will say goodbye." That, that was sort okay, of okay. That's his, a good uh, point. And by the way, even though he dominated Kamigai, that's a guy who's coming at you, making you fight the whole time, right? There's some, yeah. there's some, there's a receipt you have to you have to endure right there. All right, so. HBO, look, they of course we knew they were going to give him the ridiculously over the top. We love you, and lamps cried at the end, and we we knew we were going to get that. But commentary wise, and almost scoring wise from Letterman, I felt like they were. You know, I'm glad I was glad to have Max there to sort of even it out. I felt like Roy they were also. so over the top on everything Coda was doing, not picking up on the subtleties that Ali was. Obviously, in the end, like the full love fest, letting Coda give the excuses and just loving on him. But I'll give HBO this the. Miguel Cotto retrospective piece that they had in the lead up, which I didn't watch until a couple days before the fight, was it was absolutely incredible, Rafe. It was equally incredible in how great it was and how over the top, off the charts the unintentional comedy was between Jim Lampley having Miguel Cotto on a couch in a makeshift studio with giant pictures of Cotto's career behind them, getting Miguel to open up, by the way, credit to Lamps in a way that Miguel doesn't do. Both of them are crying, alright? And then they run a package of Miguel's kids, who were, like, amazing stars on camera, ready to just show their personality and talking about their dad, how much they love him. So it hit you in the feel spot, so to speak, when you realize what a great family man Miguel is and why he's getting out of the sport now. But then to have him crying on the couch with lamps, then they bring in Freddie, everybody's crying. It was like, somebody got a mop in there. Like, this is, like, out of control. And, <laughs> and you know, as expected, Jim gave us the heartfelt, like, I love you, blubber. Uh, are we at the point where we can heckle that, or is it just too beautiful and expected, and that's who Jim is, and he's a legend, we should love on him? Or can we as fans kind of be like, eh, maybe tone it back, tone it back? Are you kidding? Are you kidding, Brian? Like, you can he – this is boxing. You can heckle anything. I mean, people still – half of boxing Twitter heckles Miguel Cotto for losing a fight against Antonio Margarito, where Margarito was probably cheating with plaster in his hands. <laughs> like, you know, you can – I mean, and, and probably, you know, they did give a grace period, uh, but still, like that – like, you can heckle – and this is eminently heckleable, and, uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm all for it. I I thought – as soon as you – as soon as you, 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 you reminded me of those two – the photos behind the couch, I, I immediately thought of one of our James Bag guys, one of our, our Twitter boxing comedians, you know, re- you know, photoshopping in some different moments from Kodo's career, like, you know, like, just, just like, you know, dripping blood in the corner against Margarito and, you know, look at like, like running away from Pacquiao, you know, something, a couple, a couple of the less uh, triumphant moments uh, over the years. Uh, you know, yeah, I think, uh, you know, we, boxing, when it throws you that kind of in- unintentional comedy gold, uh, you know, you can you run with it. You know, appreciate it, love it, respect the guys, respect box, but also enjoy it. Speaking of respect box, every a lot of fighters gave their congratulations to Miguel in the lead up to this fight tweet where they're like, you know, a great career. Gennady's almost was like a little snarky. It was, was like that was a subtweet. I don't think that was a real. I don't think that was like a actual congratulations. That was like I have not forget. I, I do not forget. You did not. You are you serious, Miguel? <laughs> like it just you know he he, he he's mad that Miguel ducked him and fought Canelo and and stretched out that whole process. So Gennady has it pinned to his Twitter account. 
It's, uh, at, it, he, he, he writes at real Miguel Cotto. Good luck in your last fight, my friend. Too bad we never fought when you had the WBC 160 pound title with a picture of the two of them sitting at ringside. Miguel with a pink shirt that, that's open to show his chest hats. I mean, yeah, that's a little bit of a subtweet action. Well done there. Uh, we're, when, you know, I mean, it's, it's too bad we never had the chance really to. You know, I thought Triple G was getting in that ass. I mean, it is, it is, it is too bad though, Rafe. Uh, Cotto puts it on. Obviously, this loss doesn't affect anything of all the, the legacy that we laid out for him coming in one final note on his legacy we didn't say last week though and it tied into some of the criticism he gets it is tough though when you look back on a guy who was such a big star and you look back on his let's say five or six biggest commercial bouts which were all giant you know big pay-per-view dates and he won like one of them right you know what I mean like his biggest win was against Mosley on regular HBO but it's like every every one of his biggest fights he did lose he does have that that doesn't mean he's not a hall of famer that doesn't mean he's not great that 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 does say something, right? It does say something. I agree. Something. The one thing I I guess where I would defend him a little bit there, and just saying that I can never think of I can I really can't think of a time when Cotto crapped the bed, right? He did not. He in those fights that he lost, you looked at them and you understand why he lost. He got beat, you know. I mean, there were various, you know, it could have been a lot of factors in play in all of them, you know. Then the biggest asterisk, of course, belongs on the first big loss to the first loss to Margarito, um, which you know we talked about last week. Uh, I think it absolutely changed the course of his career and life uh, in ways that you know we can't ever walk back and look and figure out the uh, you know what what might have happened, um, but. Yeah, I mean, those like was anyone beating Pacquiao on that night? Did did, did Floyd he Cotto fought great against Floyd and lost a guy who should have a guy should have beat him? I mean, you know, this uh, he 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 performed well in those fights and didn't uh, and just you know never looked like they were fights that I once it became clear that Manny was was not too small and was was could could handle him, uh, then then it's like all right, he should lose this fight, and he did. Very true, and he walks away as as a true champion with a lot of respect, and, and he was a great businessman, and he gave us what we want. There's really only, like, one thing that he that he honestly didn't do. 8,000 to Wembley Stadium. He just never had one of those type of moments, you know, for for Alex Godinez to really rank him as, as the true as the true GOAT. But uh, Kodo's career is done. Now we see what's next for Ali. Very quick, 10 seconds on the way out. Can Ali compete at 154? Because we saw every hungry young lion pun intended like the charlos coming at him on twitter saying hey whoa hey you want to you want to do some business like let's go uh, he'll what do you think i mean i think i think he can box with these guys but there could be some size and power issues here. yeah you know what that means if he's if 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 uh if you see every 150 every contender at 154 calling him out that means they all think it's not that big a deal look miguel cotto himself was a small 154 right he started started his career down like did he fight below 140 ever or did he start at junior welter i believe it was he, he debuted at, at junior welter okay so so he you know this is and and his prime was at 147 he he never looked like a big he he just never was a big one you know 154 Saddam Ali came up in weight and looked bigger looked at bigger, the weight yeah. than Cotto did so um yeah he can compete there cuz he can box i don't i although he looked good against Cotto I wouldn't necessarily assume that he's going to look good against the bigger guys in that division. Uh, if any, if he has any kind of power with that belt, he should try and fight another not huge guy. Like, you know, I mean, I don't know. It'd be hard to put hard to justify Austin Trout at this point in time because, you know, he's coming off a loss. But look for the smaller guys. Get Vanis in there. In fact, yeah, that's what I want. 
Let's get a let's get a let's get a sort of silly defense against Vonis Markrosian. <laughs> it's been too long. Get him back in the mix. Vonis is out with with Al, right? So he can fight on go, on a golden right, boy card. If they make that fight, we're getting Vonis on the show. All right, we're gonna ask him about the Charlo tattoo. We're getting him on the show. All right, because Lions you know, only Vonis. Because yeah, I don't want Ali against like Jared Hurd, even Lara, Charlo. That there's some there's some tough business in that. Lara, I mean, Lara is like a he'll, he'll lose. He'll get outboxed because Lara is just a little just better. But that's that one at least is that'd be an interesting boxing match. Very, very true. Well, hey, congratulations, Saddam Ali. We won't, we won't, we won't sit here and, and, and take anything away. Look, you came out there, you did what you had to do, you elevated yourself. We move on, Rafe, to our guest of the week, the OG himself, the Bob Father, Uncle Bob. Wow, wow, Rafe, a lot of headlines came out of this chat. We recorded it last week. I went one on one. Let's hear from the great one himself. Enjoy. All right, Bob, how are you, man? Good, good. Couldn't be better. All right, Bob. Thanks so much for giving me some time. Excited to get this going. All right. Three, right. two, one. Oh, so excited to welcome into the In This Corner Bob podcast, the Bob Father himself. Yes. Top ranked chairman, CEO, Bob Aram. We're going to talk about this Saturday, December 9th. I call it a super fight of the law weight classes, Bob. Vasily Lomachenko, Guillermo Rigondeau, double gold medal versus double gold medal, New York City. Bob, I'm sorry. Technical ability-wise, it does not get any better than this. How does this fight compare to anything else you've promoted from that standpoint? Well, it's historic. I mean, these are two of the greatest amateur fighters in boxing history. And the fact that they're going at each other is something truly splendid. And uh, I really uh, am honored to promote this fight. Uh, and, uh, you know, one element that people haven't talked about is it really matches the Cuban style of fighting, which Rigando exemplifies with the Eastern European, particularly Ukrainian style, which uh, Vasil Lomachenko is the greatest example of. So, you know, from, from all ends, this is a fantastic, Fantastic fight uh, for anybody who loves the sport of boxing. Now, Bob, us here at CBS Sports, we, we're hardcore fans. We love this fight because it serves us pound for pound wise, you know, among the, these are two wizards. But casual fan wise, wasn't sure if this was going to be a big sell yet. You got it on ESPN after the Heisman Trophy ceremony and the tickets were sold out two months in advance. Be honest with me, Bob. Did that surprise you at all, the interest across the board in this one? Well, you know, I was gratified by the interest and how how this has caught on. Uh, But understand, I'm involved with boxing. I love boxing. And I felt always that this fight is deserving of the attention that, in fact, it received. Was I sure that that would be the case going in? No. But, um, you know, it, it's something that is well-merited. It's not a fluke that it's getting the attention that it's getting because of the participants involved. You know, Roy Jones was on this show a couple of days ago. He called it, on paper, the greatest fight in professional history, which is which is great. You know, I mean, that's, as, that's as lofty as you can get right there. But I love that you're putting it in the backdrop of New York City, Madison Square Garden. And I'm looking in front of me at your history, Bob, over five decades 
of promoting big fights and NYC at MSG. What is that? Why is that such a big deal even today? What's the significance in the history of you bringing these type of fights to this venue? Well, you have to understand. You can tell by my accent that, that I'm a New York guy, actually a Brooklyn guy. And growing up, I remember sitting in the rafters watching because I couldn't afford the buy Ranger tickets. But when I was a kid, but we'd go to the uh, they had a, a team called the Rovers, the New York Rovers that played in the morning and afternoon at the old garden. And you used to get in for 10 cents or something like that. And then I remember all the great college basketball games I would go to in the old Madison Square Garden. And then I was around when the new Madison Square Garden came on. And indeed, we had a prior company called Main Bout. And then uh, in 1970, we formed a new company called Top Rank, which is the current company. And the first fight we did was Muhammad Ali against Oscar Manavina in Madison Square Garden. So for me, Madison Square Garden has always been the premier location from the time I was a young kid until now when I'm an old man. <laughs> garden is the garden. There's something special about Madison Square Garden. And you certainly been, you know, you had a great run there with Miguel Cotto, uh, uh, you know, on and on across the board. We saw Rigandau here. This is my 30th, this is my 30th fight in Madison Square Garden. This wow. fight, December 9th, great fight. Lomachenko, Rigando, the 30th event I promoted in Madison Square Garden. And, and arguably, you know, one, one of your best there, Bob. And I want to ask you about that longevity. Age 85. If we get a VADA test on you right now, Bob, are you going to pass it? I mean, what's going on? How are you able to, to – you're spitting, pissing vinegar every time you get in front of a microphone, Bob. You've still got it. Why? Why are you still doing well, this? Why are well, you still able to do it at this level? Well, on December 9th, when we're going to gather for this great fight, I will have turned 86 because my birthday is the day before on December 8th. All right. So the question is, if they gave me a VADA test, would I pass it? You know, I don't take uh, performance-enhancing drugs. I mean, but I come from Nevada, so it's legal now, and I have a puff every now and then. I, I plead guilty to that. But other than that, you know, I'm, uh, I keep uh, really my body in pretty good shape. Well, look at that, Bob. You're gonna you're gonna adhere yourself to to the young fans. They're gonna love hearing that. Uncle Bob taking a puff now and then. I mean, that's 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 big stuff right here. That's a big reveal. On I I, st I started in 1966. See, anybody, kids, young kids shouldn't do it because the brain is being formulated. Well, in 1966, I was in my 30s, and I started. And I, I don't do it at work and so forth. I do it for recreation. It's good for you. It's good for you. Cannabis is good for you. It's these, God, it's these damn people during the Nixon administration that really uh, uh, put cannabis into the position where it was a drug like uh, heroin and cocaine, and that was wrong. And now I think people in states like Nevada, Colorado, Oregon, Washington, soon California, you, you, people be able to go in to, into places and 
and and buy it legally like I do now in Nevada. Well, Bob, if I have to look at you walking around all fired up as an infomercial, I, I got I might have to take part. I mean, this is this has been a great career in incredible longevity out of you. Now, Bob, the, one of the interesting hooks in the build to this fight is obviously that you used to promote Guillermo Rigondeaux. And I know everybody brings it up. The comment you made after he beat Nonino Donaire in 2013 that how hard he is to promote HBO must be throwing up hearing his name. Now we got a little bit of a reunion here, Bob. I mean, it's almost like Shakespeare, right? Now you're promoting Rigo in his biggest fight. How, what do you feel about that guy? How does it feel to reunite with him right here? Well, you've got to understand, really. I, you know, let's be technical about it. Rigo is the Cuban style of boxing. The Cuban style of boxing is with your sheer ability to pile up points. And then once you have enough points, you coast, you don't fight anymore. And you win a decision. You know, that's how the Cuban fighters were trained to fight. And they that's why they won so many medals and so forth. Pile up the points. Get an insurmountable lead. Don't then do anything risky and win your fight. Now, the Eastern Europeans, which are particularly Ukrainians, which are exemplified by Lomachenko, different philosophy. Go in. Get points, but always look for openings to destroy your opponent. Lomachenko, technically great fighter. He finds the openings. He wins points, but that doesn't satisfy him. The only thing that satisfies him is to knock out or get his opponent to quit. Different philosophy. So Lomachenko with all his technical skills, is a very exciting fighter. Rigondeau, great fighter, with all his technical skills, is not because his game plan is different. Now, why this fight is going to be a great fight is because Lomachenko is not going to allow Rigondeau to pile up the lead on points. True. So Rigondeau is going to have to be in there as long as the fight lasts trying to win because he's not going to have a lead in points. So I look at this as a very exciting fight, and I think Rigondeau is going to do a great, great job. But at the end of the day, I look at my guy, uh, Vasil Lomachenko, to stop him in the late rounds. I want to ask you one more question on Lomachenko in a second, but to finish up on Rigondeau, obviously after he left your stable, his career – uh, you know, honestly, it didn't really go anywhere. There was a lot of idle time. He was he was fighting overseas. There wasn't top name opponents. Do you though, Bob? Considering you've had so many great successes, have any regrets though that you weren't able to get a more entertaining style out of him or do more with him when you had him? I know it wasn't all your fault, but do you have any regrets in that regard? I tried. I really tried. I had sat down. I talked with him. I talked with his trainers. I talked with his management. And they all agreed with me. But he was so taken with the Cuban style that he couldn't readjust. He couldn't change. I remember in Atlantic City, he was fighting a main event. We had a terrific undercard main event uh, on HBO. And first three rounds, he destroyed his opponent. And then he just coasted the victory. And... By the end of that fight, I, don't, I kid you not, there was nobody left in the place. They all 
had come for the preliminaries, the co-main event, and everybody had left. Yeah, that was the Joseph Ek Beckel fight. Before the fight was over. Yeah, I was there. That was a, that was a sad, everything you're saying about that, Bob, was true. They were, they were running out of the arena in Atlantic City there. Absolutely. At the ballroom. No question. Because it was tough, it was tough to get through to him that you're not only in the sports business, the boxing business, you're in the entertainment business. And they couldn't get through his head. All right, Bob, to wrap up on Lomachenko, you've made some big comparisons in certain categories to Muhammad Ali, who you've also promoted in your first fight there at MSG. What are those comparisons? What is Vasily showing you that's Ali-esque? Distance, the ability to avoid punches, but while you're avoiding punches, always setting up your opponents to beat them and to overwhelm him. Ali had this innate ability, which really, I think, came to him without much thought. It was something that he did naturally. I think with Lomachenko, it's something that he's learned. His father is the greatest trainer going. His father is the one that taught him. He's very disciplined. He knows exactly what he's doing in the ring. But like Ali... He has that tremendous technical skill. With Ali, it was innate, in my opinion. With Vasil Lomachenko, it was acquired. But they both are tremendous practitioners of the sport of boxing. Well, Bob, I can't wait to see this one. Saturday, December 9th on ESPN, Madison Square Garden Theater, Lomachenko, Rigondeaux. One more on the way out here, Bob. You love giant events. You've made so many in 50 years running top rank. Manny Pacquiao on Thanksgiving sent out a little bit of a tweet at Conor McGregor, you know, basically inviting him back into the boxing ring. I know McGregor is in the headlines maybe with some potential issues in a barroom brawl overseas. But outside of that, is that a fight you want to make? Are you actively trying to make? Is it possible? If we equate boxing with fight, right, because I'm not talking about his ability as an MMA participant because he's been very good at that. Conor McGregor can't spell fight. Mayweather carried him before he took him out. With Manny, it wouldn't be a contest. It would be a money grab. Conor McGregor is not a boxer, does not know how to box, stands, you know, his stance is the stance of an MMA fighter who has to protect against kicks and takedowns. He is not competitive with any fighter, no matter how old that fighter is. He doesn't know how to spell fight. He's a great, great MMA artist. There's no knock on him. He's a great attraction. He cannot spell fight. The answer is no. I wouldn't particularly look forward to doing a fight between McGregor and Pacquiao. If Manny asked me to, I would. But Dana White uh, today came out and made a statement that he doubts whether McGregor will fight again, whether it's in a boxing ring or in a MMA cage. Very honest answer from one of the best. Hey, Oscar's trying to get this guy into the ring. Bob's saying, no, look, this guy can't spell fight. That's why we love you, Bob. All right, always bring in the truth. We'll see you December 9th. 
for Rigandau and Vasily Lomachenko. Thanks I'll so much. I look forward, Brian. I look forward to it. Thanks so much for your time, Bob. Take Thank care. You. You're very welcome. All right. Rafe, so much to digest there. And I teed it up as the great one because there's this interesting dynamic these days. Five, ten years ago, there was like a, almost like a hatred of Bob because, you know, he's the crooked, dirty boxing guy. He gives us the big fights, but he's kind of screwing us. It feels like mid-80s Bob is nothing but love and celebration of, of this guy for being real and being who he is and just putting it out there. Like, are you kidding me? You call him the OG, uh, you, you know, and now he, this this past week, all he's doing is talking about his lifelong infatuation with that OG Kush, man. I mean, he is, uh, he, I mean, good for him, you know, the, you know, come out, explain it, you know, maybe, maybe that, that loosens things up in the, in various states where, where it's not legal yet, whatever. Um, I mean, I always got a kick out of Bob. He's funny. I mean, he's, he's, he's lying, crooked, probably cut, you know, we'll, we'll cut some corners and, and take a little extra money here and there when he feels he's earned it. It. Um, but uh, he does it with, you know, that classic chutzpah, that classic charm that like you're, you you know, you're dealing with, you know, with a real hustler when you're talking to him. And even while he's even if he's lying to you and telling you that he's lying to you, he's smiling and it, you're and you, you just you sort of fall. it's almost like a like a like a um, like a snake charmer type thing. Or he's like, you're just in the trance. You're like, all right, I'll go along with well, this. You know, whatever it, you say, Uncle Bob. And there's certain elements of him keeping it real that like even though you know sometimes about the business and the promoting side he's not telling the truth he's being a promoter then he keeps it real by just ripping people like ripping HBO outwardly or ripping Dan Rafe like just going in hard on people that he ends up becoming endearing in that regard and then him being real about how what he loves to do to keep himself uh, alive and going you know here with uh talking to Samson and it's just sort of like it's it's out of control but speaking of that Rafe he we had to pause the call halfway through because he had to take another call real quick but the record was going and I could pick it up actually I saved some of the audio here's what it was bitch you know what I want I mean, I couldn't believe it. I was like, like, you know, we could have been hanging out years ago. Just kidding. Uh, but you know, yeah, I mean, I mean, even after the call was over and we, we did our pleasantries, he, he started asking me some crazy questions. I was like, whoa, Bob, whoa, Bob, pull it on back. But, you know, he's endearing himself to the next generation. But but real quick here, going in and saying, look, I, I tried to make Rigo an exciting talent. I tried, he's saying. You know, a lot of times we give him crap for sitting there after Rigandau defeated Donaire at ringside and saying, how the heck do I promote this guy and ripping him? But HBO executives throw up when they hear his name. And you could say all you want in that Akbeko fight, which followed, that he hung him out to dry there in Atlantic City against an opponent who doesn't have a following on the same night as a big Showtime card, and all that might be true, but it was interesting to hear him say, I sat down with his people, and I tried to almost rehabilitate him. Yeah, I, I, I do blame Aram a bit for the way he he, he ran down, you know, Rigo's career. I, that felt unnecessary to me, especially at the same time as he was promoting him. Uh, you know, and, and that, that has stuck with him. I mean, you know, Rigo doesn't do himself a lot of favors with his style in the ring, you know, and... Uh, and it only hurt to have, you know, Bob sort of want, being one of the leading voices in the, oh, he's un, he's unwatchable. He's so boring. Whereas a lot of people who love boxing 
really not only appreciate, it's not like a begrudging appreciation. They wanted to see more and better Rigo fights. And I think that we, I, I think that it's fair to, 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 you know, say that we probably missed out on one or two of those fights that might've been made over the past several years since the Donaire fight. If, if he had not been abandoned by his promoter and basically sold, you know, like hung out to dry. Yeah. Um, now, I have also heard on the other side, you know, there have been all these rumors for years that Rigo and his managers are very hard to deal with, well, very it's, demanding it's... And, and unrealistic so that if they weren't letting Bob do his job, you know, that's that's a, that's a valid argument, too. And I'm sure the truth is somewhere in between. Well, it's the whole Caribe, Caribe promotions, however yeah. you pronounce it. They, they bought in on Rigo very early when he turned pro and they sort of own a piece of him. And Bob, guys like Bob, they don't want to deal with they don't want to co-promote something with another guy. And that was sort of the problem. I think that's what led to a lot of the, the bad business decisions after Bob let him go when he bounced around, right, to uh, – where did he go right away? He couldn't get anybody Wait. right away, right? And then uh, he didn't go 50 cent, right? No, he went to Rock Nation. He just started bouncing around. And then in his big ch- shot with Rock Nation on the undercard of Cotto Canelo in 2015, he lays another mm-hmm. giant egg. So it's self-inflicted, but it's sad because if you're Rigo – you need a big-time power promoter to make you a thing, to give you a chance with the right opponents that are going to make you fight exciting, that are going to whatever. You need a carnival barker, the level of Bob, to talk about how great you are. And I just I just rip Bob for maybe not doing that at the right moment, like after the Donaire fight at ringside. Be like, who's going to beat this guy? Nobody will. He's number one pound for pound, rather than being like... This guy can't sell anything, and HBO throws up hearing his name. You sort of maybe set him up to fail when you know what you're getting. For you're not going to turn him into a uh, an exciting guy. You need somebody like Lomachenko to come after him and make him fight that way. We're going to get to that fight in a second, Rafe, to preview this weekend. We want to hit you up with a quick mini version of what's it look like because we received a nice DM slide this week from Matthew at F Boxing. He says, "Guys." I love when you play. What's it look like? I want to play too. So he says, when Miguel Cotto beat the living-ish out of Margarito in their rematch in 2011, Bob Arum, who back then was still Miguel's promoter for the for the final time, it turned out to be, mentioned as possible next opponent Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. Now, Matthew says, we know the rest of the story. Miguel left top rank and fought Floyd instead, and JCC Jr. went on to fight Rubio and Andy Lee before losing to Sexy Sergio. What would it look like if Aram's plan came to fruition? Miguel Cotto versus JCC Jr. in 2012. Matthew says Cotto so tiny at middleweight. Chavez Jr. one of the biggest physical middleweights of all time. Of course, the skill gap is enormous. Rafe, if we're going to try to digest this and make it work, it would be early 2012. It would probably have to be at a at a Cotto weight of like 58, although I'm, I don't even know how much Chavez could have cut down at that point. He was already cutting down from like 175 to 160, absurdly. It's an interesting size and skill deficit matchup. What does this look like? All right, well, well, let me roll it back first. There was something we slipped in there at the beginning Beat the living ish out of Antonio Margarito oh, oh. in the rematch. I mean, I, this is not necessarily my opinion, but I know a strong, angry subset of people on boxing Twitter who Ramiro. still to the, will go to their graves believing that Margarito was about to turn that fight. And you know how it hurt Steve Smoger to 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 you know to to have to stop that and deliver that farewell kiss. By the way, anybody the that wants neck. 
pecs and buttocks of Antonio Margarito. If anybody wants more on that, go back in the uh, Grantland The Ropes archives to hear our interview with Steve Smoger from uh, 2015 where he – you're right. He basically said, I agree with you, Boxing Twitter – Margarito was coming on, which I don't know if I personally agree with, but I'm glad. I don't that think. You got... I mean, Mar- Margarito looked pretty washed to me at that point. I think whatever he whatever he had, uh, Steve, you know, Shane Mosley and Manny Pacquiao basically took what was left of that soul. Um, that plastic. Yeah, but so so to to a Chavez fight, what Chavez fought twice in 20, uh, maybe fought more than twice, but I remember he he beat Andy Lee right early in the well, year. Rubio Lee and then Martinez and then all... Martinez. So we saw two very different versions of Chavez that year. Now, if and that also had, probably had a lot to do with different levels of opponent. Um, you know, Martinez being way better than Andy Lee ever was, and Andy Lee actually fought well in that fight until Chavez just kind of overwhelmed him with his size and, and power. Um, I think it would. So, so basically, I think a fight then against Cotto would either look like a less impressive version of the Martinez. Uh, you know, 11 round shutout followed by life and death. Um, or, or it would look, or it would look like, you know, a steamroll kind of like, uh, like Andy Lee, because I don't think, I don't think uh, he wasn't hurting. He as good as, uh, Cotto's left hook is and was. And, and as many times as, uh, Jim Lampley reminded me of that on Saturday night in like six times per round, he needed his own compu box for how many times Lampley landed the left hook. Uh, but, you know, he's not hurting Chavez. Chavez is just, too big, too strong, too you know, too many advantages. Um, if uh, if if Cotto couldn't move and outbox him for twelve rounds, he's he's losing that fight. He's it's gonna turn, and it might have been a little too close to Margarito time to to be in that situation because I think he might the, the flashbacks might have started coming on against you know facing another bigger just ogre pressure fighter his i don't think it, Mar, you know chavez's pressure was ever nearly as good as margarito's and that like he's you know doesn't move as well now he's just lazy he won't you know he's like he's more like a homer simpson version of margarito um but still i i i, I actually think that i would favor chavez in that even not no no great, you wouldn't say look it I'm would only happen ja- i'm chavez it would have only happened at a quarter weight of 58. I think we have to know that at this point. And I think Chavez would have taken it, would have sucked himself down, would have been compromised. I think that has to be part of the narrative here. And I Wait, think – did, did, did we – was this not at middleweight? Uh, well, look, it would have been for the middleweight title, but you're telling me Cotto, who w- was small against Ali, is, is going to face a giant like that and not take a couple pounds back? Like, you're crazy, right? Like, of course Cotto is going to take a couple pounds back. So let's say they agreed at 58. For the, for the middleweight title that Chavez had. Yeah, but I think in the end, the, the, you have to understand the junior middleweight version of Cotto with Pedro Diaz as his trainer, which is Rigondeaux's trainer, you know, then and, and now again, was a guy who boxed smartly and safely. It didn't throw that left hook as much. It was more about, you know, movement and getting out of trouble. I think he could have done a, a softer version of the sexy Sergio, which is basically what you're saying. Not as demonstrative in your face, but I think Miguel would have been more than happy to go 12 out slicking him and outboxing him and finally down the stretch landing some big left hands. And but remember how big Martinez was? Martinez, remember how big Chavez was back then at middleweight? It was crazy. And if he managed to basically, you know, wear out Martinez over 11 rounds and have a shot to, you know, knock him out. And basic, I mean, that would, that basically ended Sergio's prime right there. You know, he got the knee injury. He's never the same fighter. If, 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 and, and, and prior to that fought one of the most brilliant 
fight. I mean, not that he was, he was fighting a log, but still, he looked amazing. Um, if he managed to wear down Sergio, I mean, you have to, you can net at that weight against smaller guys. If they ever let Chavez lean on them, they're going to get so tired. I think he would have caught up. I think he would have caught up. It's interesting, you know, the, the idea of the Margarito flashbacks that you mentioned earlier, that's also interesting. Would he have started to cave a bit as his fatigue? Wow. And then the idea of, look, this guy has a stamina dump in all his biggest fights from rounds. It's interesting. You are sort of swaying me back to this is more competitive. But two things again, the 158 catch weight that I think would have to happen. And then Chavez imploded when the gravity of the situation against Martinez became too much for him, when he had to be a pay-per-view fighter suddenly. It wasn't just, I got Freddie Roach with me, I'm going to go blow out Manfredo, and then I'm going to look pretty good against Lee after losing four rounds of getting outboxed. It, it, it seems bigger. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to lead Cotto in the end. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go Cotto, and I'm going to say he gets the decision. But, it, yeah, maybe a little more hairier than, than I want to say. But, Rafe, uh, we got to get going to this weekend preview, but we're going to be back next week with some very good uh, matchups for what's it look like and really bounce back and go deeper. Thank you, Matthew, for the shout-out and for sending. Hey, guys, the D- DMs are open. DM season, slide right in. We will answer your questions and take your mythical matchups and go. But, Rafe, a busier weekend of boxing than you may realize this week. we got we got some stuff on the menu, even short of Loma Rigo. Let's go quickly through what else is out there. Friday night, PBC, Hialeah, Florida, a little light heavyweight action when the Egyptian Magyptian, our guy Ahmed Elbiali, the unbeaten one against John Pascal, we thought we were going to see uh, Chad Dawson versus uh, La Bamba in the uh, co-main, but I think there was an injury that, that pulled that and canceled that. Uh, Pascal's washed to a degree, but man, Elbiali hasn't shown us that he's like the next, uh, he's the next, uh, you better believe it, Arthur Betterbeef. So where do you think this one goes? Yeah, Elbi Ali has a little bit of a. He's got Shawnee Monahan written all over him, kind of. Oh, and that, like he's been, a, he's been around. He's not stepping up, and he's uh, he's not looking that. He's looking like when he does step up, he's gonna be find himself in deep water very fast. Um, but he's young. He's he's you know fairly prime. I I think Pascal is truly truly washed, like truly hopeless, almost hopelessly washed, dangerously washed. Um. So I, 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 even with some doubts about uh, the Egyptian magician, I'm, I'm, I expect the robe to roll in this fight. To, to Terry Cloth robe. Yeah, I, I actually really, really like this fight for what you're saying. You know, if uh, Elbiali hits something big, Pascal could be compromised. But, man, he's got the experience. The problem is when you're a wily veteran who may be a little chinny in your, uh, your twilight years – a lot of times, like Cotto did on Saturday, you have to lean on, like, let's say your your uh, form and technique. Pascal Which doesn't Pascal have don't that. have. He doesn't <laughs> have that, right? So he he was always an athletic fighter who was flawed and would just sort of come at you with big power. So, so I mean, remember that he's he's gets into brawls now. He's he's he like he will just go in there and trade with somebody with like Unieski Gonzalez in that fight, which he deserved to lose. Um, and and I don't think that that you know that athletic fast. Uh, version that will of Pascal that used to close distance really fast and jump in with a crazy big punch and catch guys uh, unsuspecting sometimes. I don't think he's got that kind of explosion anymore. So he really is just going to be, he knows that he sort of has to wade in there and trade with guys and, and maybe he could win that. You know, El Viali is like, we does not appear to be, you know, the, the real cream of the crop at, at this division. Um, but 
it, it's going to be, gonna it, I think it will be fun. Could be a bit sloppy. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that I'm going to pick the younger guy. I really do think Pascal is on the way out. I'd like to see Albiali really establish that jab and, and put together some shots. We'll see. He's got a good story from Egypt. Well-educated guy. Very, very nice guy. All right. Rolling on here. Vegas on Saturday. HBO is offering to contend with Loma Rigo is a card headlined by Orlando Salido against Miguel Mickey Roman for a vacant WBC interim. 130 pound title. I don't know if that's a, also a Feeker box title or, or a, uh, or a, uh, yeah. All right. So it's a, it seems like it's a crap title, but it, it's could be a good action alternative. Not that I think a lot of people are going to turn off ESPN and go out of their way to go to HBO and find this fight. You really have to question what HBO is doing from a matchmaking and from a counter programming standpoint. But at the same time, Rafe, Salido is the Mexican Gotti in the most underrated, consistently delivering, entertaining fighter in the sport. So I'm, yeah. I'm excited about this one. Absolutely. Look, man, I, Salido, even when they're, he, even when he's in against opponents that you're thinking, ah, I don't know how crazy I am. This doesn't seem like one of the better, better matchups for him. Those sometimes turn out to be amazing. Remember Turdzak? I mean, that, that was amazing fighting. Salido was down like six times in that fight. I mean, <laughs> Like, and then he beat, and then he stopped turns. That turns that could take no more. Um, and, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I think that I would never write off Orlando Salido's ability to make an amazing, fun fight to watch. And, uh, I would, that's probably, you know, that's what I would put my bet on happening in this fight. And Roman can, can bring it. He's not, he's not above giving something like that. A, uh, a weird co-main though with Tevin Farmer and Kenichi Ogawa for a vacant, junior lightweight title same division i'm not moved by this i'm sorry i just it doesn't move me but it for hbo if tarver if farmer who overcame being shot recently if he can win a belt there then suddenly you match him against Toledo in a unification but i get what they're doing it makes a little bit of sense it just lacks sexiness well, it's, it's, you know, I think, I, I, I think it's fair. They need to do this. They have these decent, these, these fun fighters at 130 for is out there. I mean, you know, Francisco Vargas is making, is, do I, is this the right Vargas? I always do this with Vargas. Um, <laughs> Francisco Vargas is the action Vargas, uh, today. Yes. Not, he's, not he's, the, he's uh... the, he's the opener. Oh, I mean, um, so he, they've got these fighters at 130 and, um, I think they got into this business because they thought they would all be fighting uh, Lomachenko at one point in time. Yes. So they're sort of left with the with the the leftovers. But you look, those are still good fun fighters, uh, world class. Maybe not you know pound for pound, but still world class guys. Uh, and they make fun fights. So so might as well match them up. Farmer is a guy who who deserves you know who's who's earned this shot, right? He's got he didn't he he wasn't a favorite uh, you know favorite prospect. He's improved while learning the the the, the craft. And, uh, you know, I hope it works out. I hope, it, I hope it leads to more good fights. Absolutely. The final one before we get to the main event here is uh, in London. There's going to be about a, a, a two title fights on the line. Showtime picked up the stream that they're going to do in the afternoon beginning at 2.30 on YouTube and Facebook, on the Showtime YouTube and Facebook channel. The main event, oh, I love this guy, a pound-for-pound pound guy, James DeGale, defending that 168 belt coming off of injury against a guy we love, Caleb Truax, a, a, a friend of boxing Twitter, a, a good dude too, a, a contender who I believe has only lost his what Daniel Jacobs maybe has one other uh oh what? didn't he didn't he didn't he take an L to uh Jermaine Taylor oh well, yeah yeah crazy wash Jermaine Taylor yeah that is yeah impossible. the only the, yeah, see, the only one that's left with us uh, the co-main is Lee Selby defending his IBF featherweight title against Eduardo Ramirez love Caleb Truex don't love him in this fight though Rafe because I believe James DeGale is the real deal and we you know we yeah he had a draw against Badu Jack that maybe he could have lost but this guy this guy's legit 
It'll be interesting. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I like the Gale a lot, but I, I'm curious to see how he looks coming off that. He took he, he took a long layoff. He needed that long layoff. I mean, uh, that was one of the most brutal fights of the year. And the Gale, even though it was a draw, I think the Gale clearly got the worst of it. I mean, the body shots that Jack landed in that sh- in that fight, the the you know like the Gale losing his two front teeth and that crazy deranged smile that 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 uh, lit up Twitter after the fight. A great fight. Um, it I wouldn't be that is the kind of fight that can take a lot out of a guy. So it'll, well, I am, don't forget I am, he had many wars with Butte and Andre Durrell in fun fights leading up to that too. And he's a guy with more talent than those guys, but because he's British, maybe. He's always a little bit vulnerable, right? There's always like he he takes too many shots. He keeps his chin out there too much, or he's you know little tiny bit maybe punchy on the highest level. We'll see. And didn't he also have to go to war with like a uh, insanely um, uh, energized uh, Porky Medina? Yes, yeah, and at the Armory in DC. Yes, very true. Uh, fun fighter. I think he is pound for pound level. I think he's going to have a chance to to get back in there and show James that. James DeGale, pound for pound level. I think he's on the outside looking in. I think those. I know you could say he lost that Jack fight. If that's your opinion, that's very valid. But I think he's put together a, a decent run there, where he's definitely on the outside looking in. Maybe I'm overblowing it, but we'll see when he gets back in there. A good comeback against Truex Lee Selby, also fun to watch. In my opinion, don't know much about this opponent. Rafe, the main event though for boxing fans is Saturday on ESPN, which this is a big deal. Right after the Heisman Trophy presentation, when Vasily Lomachenko defends his 130-pound WBO title against Guillermo Rigondeau, moving up two weight classes. I said it was the Super Bowl of the small weight classes. I'm blown away by the love this fight is getting. Sold out two months ago. Even I asked Uncle Bob, were you surprised? And he kind of admitted that he's, I guess, you know, pleasantly surprised. He knew from a hardcore sense how great this fight is. I love it's getting crossover. I love this is... I mean, Lomachenko didn't have to take this fight, right? Yes, he, it's tilted in his advantage of, of Rigo moving up two weight classes, but he didn't have to take this in terms of the fact that Rigo's the ultimate kryptonite. He's the ultimate spoiler, right? Look what happened to Donaire. Top ranks gold, you know, golden boy who was coming off the fighter of the year was number three pound for pound. We're almost in a similar spot right here with Lomachenko where Rigo Who's, who's only role right now these days outside of lingering in people's top 10 pound for pounds is being that potential kryptonite spoiler guy. The question is, can he do it, Rafe? I would, we will find out. I love the idea of this being the, not only, you know, proving that he is the better of the two elite two-time gold medalist Olympians, like the two, basically the two greatest amateurs of this generation. And, you know, the people who really know, who really follow the amateurs closely have makes, you know, make arguments that they could be two of the greatest amateur careers all time. Uh, so not only the, that potential, but the revenge potential on the entire top rank you know, on the entire top rank, uh, uh, universe, you know, that, that he could not, like, I, I derailed the whole Nonito train and I'm gonna do it to Lomachenko. That, I mean, that, that is a great, like, subplot. It's almost like a wrestling thing. Like, like, you, you want, it, like, like, if Lomachenko loses, Bob and, and all the top, the top rank fighters have to go, but John Skipper from ESPN calls down <laughs> to Bob and says, look, you know, your guy lost. I think, I think this deal is over. You know, I mean, just like, you know, loser goes home. Um, obviously those aren't the real stakes here, but there's that, that, that kind of, that extra element is, is very fun, makes it a lot more fun to me. It doesn't really, to, to me, to the real, you know, to, to the hardcore, to the purists out there. 
you don't need any sweeteners for this fight, baby. This, these are the toppest of operators. And, uh, you know, it's going to be very, very cool and fun to see how this, how they try and figure each other out. I'm sure it will be boring at times. And, are you trying uh, to say these, this is the, the, the ultimate battle between two top operators? They are top operators. Coast to coast, Guantanamo to Ukraine. Wow. Uh, you gotta love, okay, the double gold medal thing is great. It sells the fight, right? But, so it's the ultimate pound for pound matchup between two guys who are just so technically above each other. And I love that Lomachenko is the offensive whiz of the two, right? He's known for being just a creative master of footwork and of, of hand placement and of angles where Rigo is the ultimate defensive stopper kryptonite guy who with the counter punching, who just has ways of exposing what you do and making it impossible to hit him. So yes, there's potential for it to be a little bit of a stinker ultimate like super hardcore fan chess match, which I don't, I'm not like against, like I'm welcoming that. But if it goes in that direction, Rafe, it's going to mean that Rigo has, to use a Max Kellerman term, disciplined Lomachenko enough, confused him, and made him fight his fight. Maybe what Bob is saying, and a lot of people think is the more, the more uh, possible outcome is that Lomachenko's pressure mixed with that creativity and technique, forces Rigo to actually fight. And I think either scenarios work for us as hardcore fans, and that second scenario gets really interesting because Rigo is so much more dangerous when you make him throw a lot of punches, when you make him bite down and hit you with those counter shots. And if Roy Jones would said on the show that, screw the two weight classes moving up. He said Lomachenko's already a small guy for 130. It's not like he's a big power puncher. Forget that. This is all about skill. If it comes down to that, this could be a really fun fight. Like, really. This could be what Rigo Donaire was from rounds 1 through 3 and 11 through 12, right? It was really interesting. And and the other really, really cool thing about this fight is that we have these two guys who we basically hold up as the best, you know, whether or not, depending on what you want to say Floyd is doing these days, uh, the two best pure boxers of the sport. And they approach it in such different ways. Rigo with the really sort of almost standstill style, right? I mean, he does not move as much. He stands, he loads up, uh, he controls distance, loads up on that back leg and counters, you know, at like warp speed. Uh, And the counters are hard as hell. I, I really do. I do think that even giving up size, he is the more powerful puncher. Now, and then on the other hand, you've got Lomachenko who is, just beautiful with the footwork, moving all the time, always creating new angles, great hand speed, throwing, you know, way more active. Uh, and it will be interesting to see who's, you know, who imposes the style on the other. And if, uh, and if it, it will be a quite, uh, it'll mean, it'll be a really meaningful turning point in the fight if Rigo counters Loma, Lomachenko with something or just hits him and, it slows him down. It turns, you see Lomachenko stop moving as much. You see him stop being as aggressive. He stops looking to create as much offense. You see him, I, I doubt he will do a full Agbeko, uh, but you know, you see him shut down a little bit. If that happens, that's, that, that, I mean, yeah, you're right. Then, then well, he disciplined him. This is where it gets fun because if that happens, if Rigo early, like he did against Donaire, hits him with such hard counter shots in the first two rounds that suddenly Rigo, it's, Lomachenko's gotta be like, wow, I need, I need a plan B. Does that plan B become 
a conservative-based plan B, or does that plan B become aggressive? Because what Rigo may summon is the kind of Loma devil that he can't handle. He may summon a a kind of balls-to-the-wall version of Lomachenko that just says, screw it, I'm going for it. I'm the bigger fighter. I'm the, I am might have the faster hands. I'm a little bit more dynamic offensively. We may see an offensive version of Loma that we haven't seen yet, a guy who's like, I may be in trouble here in terms of the scorecards. I'm going for it. I think either way, there's more potential for it to be surprisingly exciting than predictably boring. That's what I'm going to say. I, uh, that I, I could see that going either way. I mean, especially with, I would I, I will never uh, doubt, uh, you know, Rigo's ability to make a fight uh, a little less exciting than it could be. Um, how well, well, well remaining quite interesting to people who love the sweet science of boxing disclaimer. Um, but, uh, I, yeah. And, um, the thing that, uh, so the guys who have over, overachieved against Rigo are, the and this is while losing, of course, to him, but have overachieved are the ones who did sort of say F it. He's he's he punches that guy, that Cuban guy, he punches hard. They say that. Um and they just keep coming. Basically the big tall, lanky Japanese guy, Hiyoshi Amagasa, who who, you know, really laid it all out there. Now got got a couple of knockdowns. You know, if you put the pressure on Rigo because he he does all that bending at the waist and he sort of loses Focus sometimes. Uh, he will, you know, you can, he, he will sort of make a little error and, and get knocked down or, you know, maybe get shook up a little bit. I don't know if he really gets hurt, but he does get knocked down, which is the important in scorecards. You know, it's more like, it's more like balance knockdowns because he's always bending at the waist and doing all this other stuff. Um, but anyway, the guys who have done that have overachieved. You look at that guy at the end of that fight, Amagasa though, you know, I don't know. I, maybe he wishes he didn't, you know, throw everything against the, the, you know, throw, throw the kitchen sink at Rigo because, you know, Rigo caught it and hit him right back with it. And the guy's head looked like it was about to explode by the end of that fight. Hey, it, you know, black guy, he hits hard. <laughs> that Cuban guy, he hits hard. Well, here's what's um, interesting. But we just laid out two scenarios where it's like, okay, what if Loma puts so much pressure on Rigo that he brings out the beast? What if Rigo frustrates Loma that he brings out the beast? The problem is whenever Rigo brought out the beast against some of these guys, these guys were limited, right? He, both of them will be doing it against a guy who's a wizard. So maybe that more informs your idea that there's more opportunities for this to be boring than be this exciting fight that Bob wants it to be. And I love the narrative of the Rigo playing the ultimate spoiler potentially against both Bob and against Bob's new shiny pet. But there's one thing that's interesting you have to walk through for anybody who wants to pick Regendau. Will the judges love and appreciate what he is able to do. If he controls this fight and paints a masterpiece, but it's Lomachenko who's the aggressor while doing it, right? Which we've seen Rigo be able to control a fight without throwing punches, right? Like, what if he does that and the true hardcores are like, oh, wow, you know, eight rounds to four, Rigando, what a performance. But then we see split decision, 115-113, 115-113 for Lomachenko, the guy coming forward. If there's ever been a person who is vulnerable potentially to getting screwed on the cards, it's a creative artist who doesn't throw enough punches. It's Lara against Canelo. It's Rigondo in this fight. That's that's out there, Rafe. That's a very real possibility. 
Oh man, Brian, I you know you you definitely uh, killed my my boxing uh, 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 engorgement uh, with that. You're right, uh, and of course I knew that, but I just started to just pump myself up thinking about the fight. Yeah, I mean, and Rigo for years has been sort of a prime for for losing some kind of crazy decision when judges just hate him, especially because it seemed like the business of boxing was out to just get him, you know out of the way. Uh, thankfully that hasn't happened. And the reason, one of the reasons is that, you know, I, I bet, I bet Bob, uh, would have loved if the judges, uh, favored the house fighter when, you know, when Rigo and Nonito fought in 2012, uh, 2013. Um, but it's hard, it's hard to do that when, when Rigo is on, when he is dominating, the other guy is so out of his element that even if Rigo isn't punching that much, isn't doing a whole lot to win, it's hard to give rounds to the other guy because the other guy is so clearly out of his element, uh, befuddled that we just haven't seen someone throw enough punches even against Rigo when he's fighting well to, 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 to sort of make that kind of argument. Um, now Lomachenko is a guy who is clearly levels above even Donaire. Um, and he could do that. He could be that guy that can that, that you can have a back and forth fight. And if it's a back and forth close fight, uh, I think there's very little chance that Rigo gets the benefit of a decision. Um, he he is going to have to make a statement. He's going to have to outclass him, which is sort of hard to believe. And anyone in the world outclass Vasil Lomachenko, probably. I mean, you would bet against it in any case. But Rigo is that one, maybe the only guy in the world who makes you think maybe. Well, it's also not just the potential of, of, of him getting screwed. It's that it's hard for certain judges to score that, especially the Harold Letterman types who prefer a guy coming forward the whole time. I mean, even if you look at that fight against Donaire, which I was ringside for sitting next to the great Eric Raskin at Radio City Music Hall, everyone sitting on my side of the ring in the, in the media section had it closer than you would thought. Everyone watching on TV seemed to have like, uh, Rigandau up like eight to one after nine rounds, but everybody on our side of the ring seemed to favor Donaire coming forward and trying to make rounds when nothing was happening. Right when Rigandau was winning rounds just by getting out of the way, that's hard to give him that victory. And I think you saw that in the fact that even though Rigandau won, and the narrative is that he outclassed Donaire and he did outclass Donaire, the scorecards were still one fourteen, one thirteen. 115, 112, 116, 11. Now I know there's a knockdown in there which helped Donaire, but still, it's just a, it's in, it's a level of art that is hard to appreciate for certain people. And even Lara, when Canelo was making that a fight, Lara, when I know Lara and Rigo aren't necessarily the same guy, but it's the same Cuban school, was content to have his movement in his, in his, you know, jabs and counter shots once in a while be enough. I hope Loma can make Rigo be as good as he can be. And I, and I hope vice versa. And I hope we see some, you know, high speed chess, borderline mini war. It's, it's just, it's, there's are a lot of things naturally against Rigo in this fight, though. There really are, right? There just is. So for me to predict him to win, which I think skill wise, I do think great defense beats great offense in boxing. I do think in the end. You know, Andre Ward against Sergey Kovalev. I think in the end you can. So I'm so tempted to just give you that Rigo prediction, but there's so much going against him from weight to his flash chin to the judges that it's really hard, man. It's really hard, yet I'll do it anyway. Guillermo Rigondeaux by majority decision. And to get there, Rafe, that means he's going to have to win more than 7-5 in reality, right? That means he's going to have to win like 9-3 and hope that the judges saw, you know, saw it good enough to give him a close win. Give me that MD Rigo. Where are you going? 
My guy, Brian. My guy. I am so happy you do that. I am changing my prediction on the spot because I do not want to weigh down your your prediction with the baggage of my record of picking Jojo Dan against uh, for an <laughs> upset Brooke. against Kel Brook back in the day. Um, I'm not gonna put that. I'm not gonna put that evil on you, Ricky Bobby. Uh, so instead. Instead, I am going to uh, maybe switch my switch what I was planning to do, which maybe pick something very much like what you just did and mention a possibility, which I think is very real, that because we're kind of hyped up about the uh, the idea of this great fight, this great chess match, this great, uh, you know, possible up, upset, even though they're pretty evenly matched, it would be an upset if Rigo won. Um, you know, we're we're hyped about that possibility. We kind of just broke down how it might happen. Thing that we didn't break down that uh, could very well happen is Lomachenko just coming out and showing he is on an entire different celestial plane than anyone in the world uh, and outclass him. I mean, that that is also if, if if he can move, if he gets his movement going, if he does not get the rhythm disrupted by you know the the counters, by the power, by what you know by sort of the shiftiness of, of Rigo, uh, then Lomachenko could put on just uh, maybe not a star making performance in a popular culture, or whatever huge celebrity way, but in a way that would already have us talking about him as a potential all time great. Well, and if well, he, it's interesting if that he, you say that because. Like a Walters, like the way I didn't expect him to wash Walters like that. Um, and he'll be pound for pound number one, a lot better than Walters. But you know, if, if he comes out and is just on another level, good, my hat's off to that guy. He, and we've seen enough to to know that that is possible. He could be that guy. This is interesting. I mean, he would be the pound for pound number one. And I know what you're saying. He would, he would start to get the anointing of, is this the most skilled guy we ever seen? Here's what's going to be interesting for Rigo though. Whenever a fighter is dominant in one specific skill, and they get matched in that and 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 one upped in that you can see them crumble sometimes and the thing is even though Rigo had a rally That's the case for both of these guys well, right? right we don't we don't know who is going to face that question well even though Rigo had a rally against that 7 footer Amagasa in Japan on New Year's Eve of 2014 <laughs> he was going in there against a long arm guy who was punching him it wasn't somebody matching his skills but yet when Gary Russell Jr for example was known as the guy who has the fastest hands in the world, and then Lomachenko comes in and just out fasts and out slicks him, you saw something happen in Gary Russell's brain, whether he wanted to admit it on this show or not, that was like, oh man, what do I do? That's my greatest skill, and I just got outskilled in that category. Like you were saying, if Lomachenko just steps on the gas pedal and yet is doing it at wizard level, and Rigo is like, he's faster than me? And he's hitting me at weird angles that even I didn't see coming. Is this like pre- teams that press hate to get pressed in basketball? Is this exactly what it's going to be? Is Rigo going to going to crumble? I don't know if Rigo's just going to turn into a puncher. I mean, what's going to happen? That could be interesting. Yeah, especially I, it's true. And Rigo, if things are going wrong for whatever reason, I do because he's got he carries around that level of bitterness about the game, about the sport, and how it's treated him, and things that I agree are unfair that have gone on in his career. That he just you know he deserve he has deserved better. Uh, and if he feels this turning against him and and hits that moment where he's like, I can't beat this guy. I, you know, might he look for a way out? Might we see some kind of weird mental chicanery? That's, that's, you know, these are guys who have fought like eight, more than 800 amateur fights between them and lost one or two. These are guys who have never lost in their professional, well, I'm sorry, Orlando Salido, uh, who have, you know, basically besides that fight, you know, had amazing professional careers. We think of as two of the very most talented sport fighters in the sport really have never been challenged like that. 
And one of them probably is going to. One of them is going to face that. It's going to be amazing to see how how if if they are built in the same way as guys who aren't as talented and do have to rely on that kind of will, that kind of whatever, that those guts. You know, do 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 great fighters, do great talents have that as well? The greatest of the great do. Maybe one of these guys is one of those guys. Is so much at stake in that regard. So much at stake critically. Like this is the ultimate critical Super Bowl. So much at stake. You can be the pound. Both guys. In theory, really, both guys could be the pound-for-pound king coming out of that if they can win impressively. I went out on that limb that defense, great defense, is going to beat great offense. Rafe, your final prediction. You kind of teased the bag a little bit. Now give us the mess. My final prediction is the big is 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 a wide Lomachenko decision that we agree he earned that he that he that Rigo doesn't bother him that that Lomachenko's movement and the angles and the size and his hand speed and activity win the day clearly uh, and he befuddles and and embarrasses Rigo a little bit and and maybe even gets Rigo looking you know looking for an out uh, and wins you know a, like. Nine rounds to three, something like that. So Rigo goes into like uber boring mode to save face, maybe gets knocked down once or twice early, goes into uber boring mode, and then afterwards tries to pull a Manny against Floyd and says, I thought I won the fight. That is my reverse jinx prediction. Okay. Oh, sorry. I had a, I had a shoulder injury and I thought I won the fight. Wow. Great breakdown there, top to bottom. Follow us on Twitter and during the fights at B Campbell CBS Brian, and Rafe. Brooks. I know Brian. Can I, may I may interject? Yeah, yeah. What do you got? I know. I, I'm sorry. I know. I know we're going long, and I apologize. But I have to ask. I have to ask you, man. Just like 30 seconds. Tell me what you think about Floyd Mayweather adopting a panda in China <laughs> and naming it TMT Floyd Mayweather. And say he got paid some absurd amount to go on like a two three week tour of China. Uh, three million. That's the ultimate, uh, wow. That's the ultimate, Rafe, uh, uh, when you have way too much money and don't know what to do with it. You go to China, you buy a panda, and you name it after yourself. <laughs> and, like, and then what do you think of, uh, our man Canelo Alvarez becoming the greatest Instagram model in the history uh, of the game? So he's got a horse uh, to like sit down on his lap, basically. I don't know what that picture was. That's some long haired horse. horse. That horse had like prime, like Tommy Morrison blonde hair. Like, you know that guy that hangs out with Victor Ortiz all the time? You kind of look like him. Oh, yeah, Brock O'Hearn the horse. (laughs) Yeah, there it is. Hey, by the way, Floyd, uh, uh, do you see Floyd destroying Oscar on uh, on social media? Uh, Making basically like... But it's what I got for Oscar. I got fish... Escape. You know, hit me up on the D Oscar doing that and then admitting that he carried Conor McGregor. Very interesting. Like we didn't see that coming. But yeah, all right. All right. Hey, Oscar also said he's he's no longer in the Conor McGregor business. So that was a short lived fun little sound drop there. Uh, hit us up on social media by Rafe's book. If you get that chance Two and two McSorley's my dad and me. If you like father and sons, if you like beer, if you like the most famous bar in New York City. Right. Right. Rafe. But yeah, and if you like Christmas and making people happy, it's a great gift. Wow! So Rafe saying, "Hey Hanukkah, we don't, we don't, we you know, it's not I'm not sorry. available." I I I I'm usually not that guy, uh, but I you know I I, I you know I, I barely I don't know, I don't even know where where my wow. local church is, man. I don't know. No selling the the uh, the Kwanzaa population too. Well done there. Uh, follow us. Enjoy the fights this weekend. Rafe Bugs has two words for you as we exit. We out. <laughs>